0: chapter 6 verses 1 to 11. One of the the greatest joys that I have as a pastor is when a person responds to the call of God by committing their life to Him through a proclamation of faith through baptism. And the joy that I feel is the joy of the the wider church family. It is the joy of heaven itself and that's really important, isn't it? That's above all the other joys that we can experience. For it is in these times that we see that God continues to work, that uh, God is present, that He continues to transform lives that he is working among us, despite all our imperfections and everything else, if, if anything you've picked up from the series in Genesis is that through all imperfections that come through family and everything else, that God's will will be done no matter what. His purposes will be fulfilled and that we as a church are fulfilling the mission of Christ which Christ gave to the church in which, in which he called us to make disciples and to baptise them and to teach them all these things. Now, today is one of those very special days. We have three individuals who are part of our church, our church family. They've heard the, the call of God upon their lives. And later on, once we leave here, they will publicly declare their allegiance and obedience to Christ through the waters of baptism. Now I know that some people might have questions about baptism, especially if you come from a different Christian tradition. So I want to address some of these this morning. But before we do that uh, we don't want to put the the horse before the cart. For those of you who don't know the the meaning of the language, in the old days we used to have a horse and a cart anyway and, and so you've got to put the Yeah, anyway, ask your mum and dad. So, it is important that we all understand what the gospel is before we get to the issue of baptism. Otherwise, baptism doesn't make much sense if it is simply separated as a rite, if it is separated from the gospel. So, let's Talk about the gospel first and foremost. This presentation of the gospel is sometimes called the, the Romans Road and you probably want to jot this down when God gives you an opportunity to share the gospel, what it means, what it is that we believe and uh, it's a very helpful uh, way to present the gospel in very clear, very neat and it doesn't miss anything. At the end of of this gospel presentation, I'm going to ask those who have never actually surrendered their lives to Christ to pray the prayer with me. And afterwards we can talk a little bit more about what it means. So first of all, the problem from Romans 3.23, there is a problem that we all have. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. There is no one perfect. We have all done things that are displeasing to God and deserving His anger, His wrath. There is no one who is innocent. So, there is no one who can actually out there just claim, I've been a good boy, I've been a good girl. You know, I'll get into heaven because of all the good things I've done. No. So, we all deserve to be charged with rebellion against God. That is the sentence we have. That is the problem. And the sentence is, uh, the second step, Romans 6:23. The sentence is this: "For the wages of sin is death." The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, first part is the sentence, and, that, and the second part is already pointing us towards the solution. Now, the sentence is, is, is there. It's clear that this is the consequence of sin. And we are guilty as charge. There are no mitigating circumstances that will diminish the charge. You can't blame anybody else. You can't blame society, your parents, the bad pastor that you had. You can't blame any of that. The punishment that we have earned for our sins is death. And that's pretty harsh. Not just physical death. That would be bad enough but a spiritual, eternal death called hell. Did you say hell? What, you're swearing in church, are you? No, it's a place for those condemned. It's pretty serious. The second part of the verse, like I said, is already pointing us toward the solution and that's got to do with God's love. Romans, the third part of the presentation is this, that the solution, Romans 5 8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us. We've just sung of the power of His love. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, He died for us. Christ died for us. Christ died for us on the cross, and His death paid the price for our sins. That was the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. Jesus' resurrection proves that God accepted his death as the payment for our sins. It is finished, it is complete, and his resurrection was the guarantee that indeed it has happened. The fourth step is a decision. Romans 10.9 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. Because, because of Jesus' death on our behalf we have to believe in him. Salvation is open to everyone but everyone who believes. That is the condition. It is inclusive of everyone everywhere in the world, but it is exclusive to those who express faith in Him, who believe in Him, who accept Him as Lord and Saviour. By faith, trusting that His payment for our sins is sufficient. It is enough. It is complete. And we will be saved. We accept this by faith, that our eternal destiny is secure, which leads us to the fifth and last step, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see the people in anguish and anxiety all around us for most of them, is because they have no peace in their hearts. And they don't have the peace that matters the most, the peace with God. Because once you have that peace with God, you don't really care what happens around the world because you say, if I'm right with God, God is right. He did all this for me. And because of Jesus' death on our behalf, we will never be condemned of our sins. So they may kill the body, they may destroy all of this beautiful thing that I have, been carrying with me for all of these years. Vanishing glory, by the way. Decay has set in, and not just when you go to the dentist, all right? It is here. It is true. You look in the mirror every time. But internally, it is being transformed into his likeness. And you have to believe that by faith. We have been justified through faith. That is, there was a key word in the Reformation, and this year we celebrate 500 years of that. The words that transform Christendom and, and a lot of the benefits that we enjoy as a democracy are, are a direct <laughs> result of the results of the, the Reformation. We take that for granted, I know. But where Christ has gone in powerfully, society has changed for the better. Freedoms have been given to us as individuals because each individual has worth, irregardless, irrespective of your gender, male or female, no more, irrespective of the colour of your skin, irrespective of whether you're in the aristocracy or you're in the slums, to God you are the same value. And just think about all the changes that through Christendom we're able to enjoy because of this. It is Christ, it is His work. Now, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, and, and i have just given you a presentation of the Gospel, I want, to, I want you to consider praying this prayer that I'm about to pray right now. Please understand that the words themselves will not save you. Only genuine faith in Jesus Christ will do that. What you are doing now is, is a decision to follow Christ. Conversion takes a lifetime, but you have to start somewhere, the decision to follow Christ. So let let us pray, let us bow our heads and pray. And please just, in your own heart, just in silence, just pray this to God. Make it your own prayer. Let's pray. God, I know that I have sinned against you and am deserving of punishment. Jesus Christ took the punishment that I deserve so that through faith in Him I could be forgiven. With your help, I place my trust in your salvation. Thank you for your wonderful grace and forgiveness and for the gift of eternal life. Amen. Amen. Now, if you've prayed that prayer for the first time in your life, I'd love to have a chat with you later on. If your mum and dad are Christians and you've never prayed that prayer, have a chat to them. But it's important that you you take this as as an act of faith. Now, what is baptism? What is baptism? Maybe there are those among us who have already surrendered their lives to Christ and are seriously thinking about this whole baptism issue. So this morning I want to look at baptism a little bit closer and and in the process encourage you if you haven't already done so, to consider being baptised. But you need to be informed of this. You need to be informed because there are different Christian traditions and they practice baptism differently. And as the name of our church says, baptism is pretty important to us. And you might have been invited to one of these services before but you don't don't really understand or know what what is going on in in, in baptism. So, if you're a little confused, we don't blame you, okay? We don't accuse you or anything else like that. Because over the centuries, over the centuries, thousands of years actually, Christians have debated baptism mainly on three levels. They have debated on, on what baptism actually accomplishes, with regards to salvation. They have debated to whom it should be administered and how much water should be used. <laughs> All right, those are the three areas that we have uh, discussed and argued over for many years. And unfortunately, for, for some people, um they don't always get baptized for the right reason. Sometimes it's, it's because they've been forced, or they want to please, they want to somebody they like, or whatever. But it, they never really owned it, and they just go through the ritual because they have to do it, you know, to get married or to do this or whatever. But they haven't really owned it. And the aspect of ritual is actually part of the baptism, but you need to understand what it what it's doing. Uh, reminds me of the story of the baptism of the Irish King Angus. Uh, By St. Patrick who was a missionary to Ireland, a very powerful man of God, incredible story St. Patrick. His life had nothing to do with getting drunk by the way uh, on St. Patrick's Day. This was a godly, unbelievable human being, a man of God in so many levels, admirable. So it happened in the middle of the 5th century and the king wanted to get baptised and sometimes during the rites, St. Patrick leaned on his sharp pointed staff and inadvertently stabbed the king's foot and the king didn't flinch an inch, he just stood there. And after the baptism was over, St. Patrick looked down at all the blood that was gushing out of the king's foot and realised what he had done and begged the king's forgiveness, because the king can do anything he wants with you. you And And Patrick asked him, why did you suffer with this pain in silence? And the king replied, I thought it was part of the ritual. (laughs) In faith, God willing, nobody will be bleeding today, all right? First of all, baptism is an act of obedience. An act of obedience. We are saved by grace through faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. Let me repeat that so we understand it well. We are saved by grace through faith alone. Reformation words right there. But saving faith is never alone. It always results in a life of obedience to Christ. 1 John 2, 3 says... We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. So until you start obeying Christ's commands, you really don't know Jesus. Is what John is saying to us, right? It's, It's clear. And one of His important commandments is that we confess our faith in Christ through water baptism. And just before His ascension, Jesus gave us the Great Commission where he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. All. All that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. So I hope you understand the point that it is impossible to obey the Great Commission and neglect baptism. It is an integral part of Jesus' final commands to his disciples. Some people argue that well, Jesus didn't really say all that much during his ministry about baptism. But at the start of the ministry, he was baptised by John in the Jordan. And at the conclusion of his ministry, in his ascension, he commands us to baptise. Again, the image of the book ends. It's important, isn't it? And it is in this context of making disciples that the gospel goes forth and teaching them to observe his commands by that he tells us to baptise. And straight away in the book of Acts, baptism just appears over and over and over and over again. The fact alone should convince us that baptism is vitally important, a crucial step for the follower of Jesus. Let us not belittle it. It is in fact his command. It is also an act of faith. Of course, faith and obedience are linked, inextricably linked together. An act of faith is something you do that shows you trust someone completely. That is an act of faith. You trust them. Our complete trust is placed in none other than Jesus. And as a Baptist church, we seek to follow the Bible's instructions where Only believers' baptism is taught. This means that you have to be of an age where you understand what sin is, what the condemnation for sin is, as we read before, what repentance is, and what grace is. You are not a Christian because you are born in a Christian family or a Christian country. These are wonderful springboards where faith can be born and germinated and and, and all that, but eventually you have to make the decision yourself. It has to be your own. You have to take ownership of it. Wonderful springboard to life, but it's not enough. You're a Christian when you surrender your life to Jesus as Lord and it is a conscious act of your will. Baptism means that you understand your need of a saviour and appreciate and relish and are lost in wonder on what he has done for you. And it is your faith in Christ, nobody else, it is your faith in Christ that has brought you here. We practice full immersion because this is what the Bible also teaches. The very word baptizo means full immersion. But remember that the baptism in and of itself does not save, it is Christ who saves. And baptism is is a public declaration of the transformation of, that has already happened inside of you when we have surrendered our lives to Christ. And this leads us to the next point, which is symbolism. There is so much symbolism here. There is the spiritual symbolism of what Christ has done inside of us, as I just said. The water represents the cleansing of sin. It is a visual representation that all our sin, regardless of how vile and filthy It might have been, regardless of how unclean and unworthy we feel, we are clean in the eyes of God. That sin has been completely washed away through the blood of Christ. We have been cleansed of all unrighteousness. And as we go under the water, it represents the death of our old self, our old identity. Our old way of life, just as we tend to bury the dead or a person under the water proclaims that that sinful, godless person you knew before is as good as dead. He or she no longer exists. The sinful habits, the godless attitudes, selfish desires, the control of Satan over your life is dead. And as a person is lifted up out of the water, it is a beautiful picture of resurrection. Being raised from the dead into a new life, a new identity, new habits, attitudes, desires, written upon our hearts by God. When we baptise, we declare that we are baptising that person in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. God, the three in one. Because the Father, the Son and Holy Spirit are all involved as God in you. They're heavily invested in you. What we are saying is that we are baptizing you into into the name of God. And when you enter into a covenant relationship with God, His name becomes your identity. In all honesty, you can only call yourself a Christian when you know that and accept that. We take for ourselves the name of God. We are now His. It is also a spiritual marker. It is a spiritual marker it is a significant spiritual event a marker of our walk with God look at what Paul writes in Romans 6 1 to 4 that we read before what shall we say then shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase by no means we, we died to sin how can we live in any longer Well, don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Here the Apostle Paul is is writing to the Romans and he's, he's writing to a people who were really struggling with the opposition from the powers that be, government and the emperor and everything else, they were struggling with sin themselves. And he, the Apostle Paul, is going to remind them of their baptism. He is reminding them that when they were baptized, they symbolically participated in the death of Christ because they have been buried with him through baptism that they may now live a new life. In our series in Genesis, you would have picked up on the fact that there are many occasions when the patriarchs, after a special encounter with God, they built an altar. And they named the place, they built an altar because it was a special moment of connection between heaven and earth. And so they, they did this so that when generations would walk past that very place, their kids and grandkids and great grandkids and the descendants and their well, well, Mum and Dad, why all those stones and all those stuff put together there? Well, let me tell you a story. It's a spiritual moment, a spiritual market that draws a spiritual lesson. And you know that. There are events that happen in our lives that become special marking points. Some of those events, I'm not saying that they're all good but God can turn even the bad moments for his glory if we let him. Some of those moments have little to do with us but then Some of those moments are very personal. For husbands and wives, their wedding, their wedding day and the ceremony and their vows become, or should become, an anchor point for their for the relationship, for their covenant, the covenant of marriage, a reminder that they have made a commitment and they can work through whatever challenges they may be facing now, whatever difficulties, for better or for worse. Takes on a whole new meaning, not at the moment when you are saying to each other at the ceremony, but it will take on a meaning when those words become true and they're challenged in sickness and in health, no matter what. So this wedding the wedding is a marking point on their life. It's not that something magical happens at the wedding, but it it does serve as a significant marking point because it becomes part of who you are. This morning we will be witnesses of a significant marking point in these people's lives. I'm not calling it a turning point, but rather a marking point. Just like when somebody gets married, their love didn't just start that day, unless you believe that television show, what was it? Love at first sight or something. They get married before even seeing each other. But you see, the the wedding formalises. It is formalised through a public commitment to each other before God and before witnesses. You're not getting saved when you're getting baptised. If someone isn't a Christian before being baptised, they're not going to become a one after they get baptised. But it will be a marker to those around you because this is not a private act. You can give your life to Christ anywhere, on your own, it's between you and God. Surrender your life to Jesus. But baptism is a public event. Do You know that in some of the countries that our folk here come from people and families if, if you come from a different religion and suddenly Christ reveals himself to you in a miraculous way or you give your life to Christ you come home and you say to your mum and dad and say I've just become a Christian yeah that's okay they don't that annihilate but the moment you tell them you're getting baptised oh yeah that's when they know that you're getting serious in your walk with Christ. Some of them are disowned by their family, persecuted, and you have to pay the price. Now tell me that for these people, it's not a spiritual marker. A public declaration before everybody that they are now living Jesus and I want everybody to know about it. As we remember the day of our wedding, we remember our commitment to someone we love and as we celebrate communion we also remember the sacrifice of Christ who loved us and every time we take part in communion. Baptism is only once, communion every time we can come together, Once a month in our church, we can celebrate communion and celebrate the love of Christ for us. But what about baptism? How is baptism a marking point in your life? Baptism is critical because it reminds us that we belong, who we belong to. That even though we might be going through a spiritual struggle, the greatest struggle we will ever have to deal with is the struggle with a sinful nature. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 6 talks about that. And the only reason that you and I continue to sin, yeah, yeah, you can say the devil made me do it, but come on, you wanted to, right? You wanted to sin. Come on, be honest. No excuses. It's our sinful nature. But God's plan is is for us not to keep losing the battle against sin because the power of sin has been broken. Our baptism is a reminder of that, that the power of Satan over our lives has been broken. We are free now to serve the living God. Release to serve Him. Being baptised isn't going to mean your struggle with sin is over. But it's a powerful reminder of who owns you and a powerful challenge to remain faithful to Him in all circumstances. Now, as we conclude our service this morning, let me again challenge you to commit your life to Christ if you haven't already done so. And if you have committed your life to Christ and haven't been baptised What's holding you back? Just obey what he's saying to you. And if your life has been struggling with the ups and downs of the spiritual life, read Romans 6 again and again and again, because the power of sin has been broken. Believe it in faith and move on to the righteousness of Christ, which has been given to you. Let us pray. Dear Lord, in a moment such as this, we, we know that there's a lot of stuff going on in the heavenly realms, the principalities and powers, Lord, that are, there's a battle going on that we can't see. But Lord, the battle for the hearts of, of men and women, Lord, is, is, is a strong one, is a powerful one, is a deadly one with eternal consequences. Lord, you are victorious. You're more powerful than anything in this world. And Lord, just as you are sovereign over nature, Lord, we pray that your sovereignty might be revealed in the hearts of men and women. That we, at the same time, will not be afraid to declare you as as a sovereign Lord, the owner of our lives. You, to you, Lord, we owe our allegiance. We are not ashamed of the gospel. We are not ashamed of the consequences because of that declaration. Give us the strength. Give us the victory over sin that has already been obtained by Christ. Help us, enable us, empower us to take ownership of that and not to continually fall again and again. We are dead to sin, Lord, and alive with Christ. And for Jotty and Karina, Shanice, Lord, may their lives be a, a wonderful witness to us. We pray for them, for their growth, for their witness. Lord, may you use them in a powerful way wherever that may lead. May they trust you each step of the way. In Jesus' name we pray.